ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome to Cavs the Podcast 2022 postseason edition. It's not the playoffs right. yet, but it is the postseason. It's Love an it. odd distinction, but uh, here we are, and the Cavs just dropped. Uh, what about what was the final score, Chris? Uh, it was 115 108. 108. And yeah, it was about that margin for most of the fourth quarter. Uh, Cavs. Went down big early, uh, 20 points at the end of the first quarter, and then kind of mounted a little comeback, and then the a really disastrous stretch in the in the I guess it was the end of the first quarter, and then yeah, I mean they won the second, third, and fourth quarters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was just the disastrous start that and yeah. just too much of a hole. They put themselves in too much of a hole in a playoff game, so, or not a playoff game, but a postseason game. Yeah, and uh, and just again, it felt like they were a little bit out of gas in the last three minutes. Um, the Cavs had a chance to cut it to three, I think, with a. Uh, Gar- and Garland missed a layup, and that was about as close as they got. Yeah, and and then there was also a huge Laurie miss too at the at the yeah. rack. He had multiple chances. Yeah, Laurie definitely needs big. to stop skipping leg day, as we <laughs> talked about on the uh, in, in in the twitters because uh, he was finishing pretty soft, got blocked quite a few times, um, and definitely was not explosive around the basket and it hurt them as a team, especially from a standstill. So yeah, Lori got to get in and, and uh, work on the, on the lower body there. Or how about a ball fake? Yeah. Well, and I, I was amazed that Kevin <laughs> I don't even loved, think leg day is necessary. If he just had a ball fake it, instead of going, he, he loved going up real quick to the rack without a ball fake and guys yeah. just read his shot the whole way, you know? Yeah. And yeah, Brooklyn had quite a few, blocks i'm gonna actually pull up the box we're here but any what, nine yeah uh what stood out to you mr lyden <sighs> you know a lot a lot stood out to me actually i think they i thought they played pretty well i was pretty proud of the effort and execution stuff uh looking at the stats of the game it's really interesting um how similar both teams ended up uh with a few obvious you know glaring differences that accounted for the score at the end of the game. So field goal percentage for the Nets was uh, almost 10 points higher, but uh, three points were about the same. Uh, We beat them on free throws. Um, There wasn't anything huge in terms of rebounds or uh, steals, turnovers, points of the paint. Like everything was about the same. They had uh, nine blocks to two for us and uh, they shot the hell out of the ball. And um, 
Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, it was it was a it was a close game statistically. It was a close game to the eye, even if they were uh, leading for almost the, well, I guess the entire entire game. But uh, they kept it close, and I'm and I'm happy for them for that because uh, they just got a whole adult serving of one Kyrie Irving. Yeah, I mean, uh, Kyrie Irving made his first ten shots, and most of them were not easy. Ended up twelve of fifteen with thirty four points and twelve assists, and when you add Kevin Durant's 25 points, 11 assists, and five boards. That's a lot to overcome. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the, that's the, that's why I kind of feel the same way as, uh, Chris, as far as I feel pretty happy about the performance because it took basically Hall of Fame level Kyrie and KD to get the job done for them, right? You know, mm-hmm. like the, yeah, I mean, you know, they, fought like hell, you know, and that was, you know, pretty awesome. And then the thing that stuck out about the stats for me is, you know, Kevin Love. Thank God we have Kevin Love. Yeah. I mean, we, we would, this game would have been a total freaking disaster without him. And honestly, Rajon Rondo and Karis. Play, play up, playoff Rondo was a thing tonight. Yeah, I mean, his defense well, was. We, we will agree to disagree on Karis Levert. Well, I mean, he's the, you know, it's just funny that the only three, there's only three, or actually there's only two. I mean, basically there's two to three Cavs that are in the positive net rating, and that's Kevin Love, Karis LeVert, and Rajon Rondo. Yeah. Actually, another borderline guy, uh, another impressive performance, and it was clear to the eye test too, was Evan Mobley um, played outstanding, you know, especially given you know, uh, he just got off injury, right? You know, so he, he's just uh, barely getting his feet wet again. And he was uh, outstanding and probably should have been featured more, you know, on the offensive end because he was getting it done with his shot. So, um, yeah, I mean, I feel positive too because there was guys who stepped up and, you know, uh, just felt like uh, they kept fighting. So, like, they didn't let go of the rope like we saw in Atlanta. You know, they, they just kept on fighting, kept on grinding, made it a game. I mean, they they were able to put fourth quarter, like uh, they were able to get fourth quarter pressure onto Brooklyn. And like I said, like you said uh, in the start of this is that uh, Kyrie and KD played amazing. I mean, they had how many assists, you said? Like 19, tw- 23 assists between the two of them. You know, these guys are not known as like, they're not known exactly as, uh, you know, all around playmakers consistently, you know, and, and what we saw was their best playmaking game that they probably put together all season long. So, um, I mean, to make it a game when you have Kyrie Irving and Katie going off, it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's, uh, pretty good, you know. <laughs> they beat the spread too. Oh, by the way, they beat the spread. <laughs> so, Cavs, shout out to the you know all the people that back the Cavs, the Cavalier gamblers, the gambleers. That's, right. that's that's what's up, you know. So they covered the spread easily. Well, I'm not as optimistic easily. as you guys. I uh, I mean, there was a lot of stuff to like. I really did enjoy how well uh, they competed. Um, but there was a lot of things that, you know, that first half, um, part of the reason they got in the hole so much was their wings weren't giving them anything. 
Uh, their wings combined to go one of 16 uh, through most of the first half. And then Lamar Stevens uh, went two of three uh, during his little stretch and scored a nice little seven points in the first half. But he was also uh, minus 12 in six minutes, which was pretty, pretty brutal, too. So, um <laughs> But I felt like part of that was when they were running that lineup with Kevin Love at center was just a disaster um, and had, had a hard time there. And, and just a lot of the turnovers, uh, you know, Karis LeVert can't start the game going one and nine, you know, took a lot of really bad shots and then kind of got in his own head, then started the third quarter with two straight turnovers. Um, you know, one of them probably wasn't credited to him, but. It was still his fault. It was a three-second violation. He should have shot the ball. Um, it's, you know, that was super frustrating uh, to, to watch him struggle. But like you said, he passed the ball well, led the team in assists. Well, I guess Rondo led the team, but he had seven dimes. You know, he had a base seven triple-doubles. So, um, <laughs> it's it, it, was, it was interesting. Um, you know, again, the Cavs with the turnovers, 15 to 14. They they really turned the ball over in some key stretches, which was which was pretty rough. But you know, Isaac Okoro clearly not ready to play in that game. Oh, uh, a three did not play nearly as much in the second half. Uh, zero points, one assist, one rebound. I mean, he, he, he's got to be more active, more assertive. Chetty Osman had some nice plays. Um, but still only finished with two points. Like he, he's gotta be better than that. Um, the Cavs ran with a, uh, Levert, Markin, Mobley, Garland, Rondo, and Love as kind of their primary rotation. They were pretty much just rotating that permutation of guys in and out. And the, their, their problems on the wing were, were pretty, pretty apparent and that that's a tough matchup for them but you know th- those guys gotta play better and you gotta hope Isaac Okoro yeah. gets gets over the oh, yips yeah. yeah I mean you're right on the money there uh, the two guys that stand out clearly um, that you just mentioned uh, Isaac Okoro and Lamar Stevens um, they, they were just they were unplayable tonight um, minus 29.5 in 13 minutes for Okoro Minus 80 in six minutes. For <laughs> yeah, Lamar, for Lamar Stevens. Stevens. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so the question, I guess, to, you know, I wanted to ask you to is, uh, do you, if you're JB Bickerstaff, do you, do you change things up for the next game? It's do or die now. It's do or die. Uh, do you change things up? And do you, do you make a switch in the lineup to compensate for their possible, you know, I mean, I mean, let's be real. Isaac Okoro is 20 years old. You know, he, he's this is the postseason and his first postseason as a professional. Uh, it's not surprising that he might be a little deer in the headlights. So if you guys are JB, do you guys make a move uh, and do you guys shrink the rotation next game? Uh, absolutely. I, I bring in um, Jared Allen off the bench. And start him at <laughs> Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, I mean, there's definitely the rumor that, you know, Allen's coming back for the next game. Is um, there? Is well, there? that's the – I they said it on the, pi- on the broadcast that there's a possibility Ooh. he may play next game. Now, 
that could have just been, you know, us teasing us, but um, yeah, I, I feel like you're not you're not counting on him in the plan. Uh, like no, I think I don't know. I think I don't I think know. He'll we'll, come back if it's the playoff. If we make the playoffs, I think he'll come back. But I don't well, think he's coming back. Well, uh, self take agenda. I was gonna say, I I think if that's your plan, you're not making the playoffs. Um. <laughs> um. I, so I don't know. I mean, Chris, do you think there's a chance Allen plays? Have you heard? Any, I know you follow the Twitter's pretty pretty <laughs> yeah. good. Uh, I don't think he's going to. Um, Ooh. It's, it's 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 real close. Uh, I know really? it's real close. He he was wearing he was wearing the brace while he was shooting, and they did right. mention that he's he's right. only doing offense, and he was concerned about the defensive end. And well, and and finger jammed on a you know defending the rim. And, and you know what? I, I think that's okay. You know, yeah, th- yeah, this guy's going to be a cab for, you know, the next five years or five years. Yeah. I mean, he's under yeah. contract for another four years. You, you can't risk his career over one play in game. So you can't. And, and I, and I, and I do think we can win a playoff. We can win the next game without him, but that's a, that's a topic for another, another segment. Let me, let well, me answer the question earlier. <laughs> yeah. Quick. Um, I think we saw some adjustments in the second half that will probably tell us a little bit about how they'll consider uh, the rotations and the way that they're approaching, especially offense um, in another game. Um, and I got to give JB a little bit of credit, credit there. I mean, taking Lamar and uh, uh, let's see, he took Lamar off and he took Isaac out a yeah. lot in the second half, made that adjustment. Yeah, Rondo played a lot more. Room. And ironically, it was the same thing that they were, that the Nets were doing on offense, which is just trying to like almost go four out and just try to, um, or even five out and just, and try to do ISO. And, and we, we found a lot of success finding room around the paint for Garland to just go to work. And uh, obviously it showed up in the, in the, uh, in the points column for, for Darius, but, um, the second half did lean more heavily on, on him. It leaned more heavily on Kevin Love. Uh, in a way, uh, even though the production wasn't there. Um, I thought he played a little bit more in the second half than I thought he would. Um, and he leaned on Evan Mobley, and that's what you do you know, in the play-in or playoffs or whatever, is you try to put the ball in your best player's hands. And yeah. uh, I, I did think they went that way a little bit in the second half. They won the second half by, like, six, uh, let's see, seven points, eight points. Um, you know, they gave up 40 in the first, so you're not going to win. But, I mean, that's still, you know, that's a, that's a big deal. And then they won the second, too, I suppose, too, but... Uh, the second quarter, that is, but um, yeah, I, I, I thought they, you know, they they, they were less talented, <laughs> and so uh, they they played above probably the the talent differential, and um, so I still think that was good. But yeah, I think they're gonna they're gonna run things a little bit tighter in terms of uh, not only the rotation but also possession wise, uh, trying to give more room um, and and pulling guys out if they're not if they're not productive on either end. I mean, there's just you just can't you can't mess with that at this point. I also think the extra day off is going to help them a ton um, with, you know, not one day off, but two days off. And with that, uh, we'll be right back. So, you know, Chris, uh, welcome back to Cavs, a podcast, Uh, Nate Smith, Chris Lydon, Chris Francis. uh, And uh, Mr. Lydon, you had a really uh, nice breakdown of kind of the way the Cavs change their offense up, going a lot more you know, ISO and, and four and five out. Um, defensively, I thought the Cavs really struggled at times in the second half. Uh, obviously, real early in the second half when 
Drummond, uh, for whatever reason, they were not switching the pick and roll with Drummond, and he was just getting dunk after dunk coming out of the second half. And obviously that was an adjustment that the Nets made, um, and, and the Cavs kind of countered there. But, you know, as uh, as uh, multiple – I guess it was Stan Van Gundy said, uh, the Cavs were playing Drummond and Claxon way too high. Um, you know, they – as you said, you need to make those guys come to you, not the other way around. Um, and that was problematic. And then late, they were blitzing the pick and roll a lot. And, of course, the Nets were running that small, small pick and roll with uh, Bruce Brown, who's kind of their hybrid 3-4. He kind of is their poor man's Draymond. And he was killing them. Uh, and, of course, they kind of countered that with Lori uh, kind of being the guy to get back to the short roll guy. So he would, he would blitz and then recover to Brown. The problem with that was when they did that with Kyrie in the pick and roll, then they had him off LeBron or not LeBron Durant. And, you know, as you noted, uh, Chris, he was one of the few guys that Durant couldn't shoot over. And, you know, and even Mobley Durant was shooting over Mobley. Um, and, it was really a pick your poison situation. The Cavs had a hard time competing with that. And that's where they definitely miss Jared Allen. And uh, Kevin Love just can't cover that much ground, uh, not even like Laurie Markinen. So those those two things really hurt them um, defensively. Was there anything else you guys noticed in terms of the way they were playing their different coverages? I'll, I'll go to you, Chris Francis, because you haven't talked in a while. <laughs> uh, I mean, what. I think, well, here's what I was looking at was the the lineup data from tonight. And what stands out is that really there's two guys, it seems like, well, it was really Isaac, it was Isaac Okoro and Stevens that really stood out as the guys who struggled. You know, they, they just flat out struggled on the wing uh, to, to guard anybody. Um, what's interesting is that out of the three out of the top four lineups were overwhelmingly positive. And the two guys that stand out in those rotations are Chetty Osman and Kevin Love. So somehow uh, they were just, I think it's, it's probably because they're just veterans and they just can lock into execution, you know, uh, a lot, a lot easier than, you know, like we said with Lamar Stevens, I mean, Lamar Stevens is a guy who was definitely a third stringer to begin the season, you know, and he's getting, you know, now he's getting rotation minutes into, you know, in, in a playoff, uh, in a play in postseason game. So, you know, it, it's just, you know, with injuries and attrition, uh, you know, JB's being forced to play guys that, uh, and, possibly they're just not the they don't have the chemistry and they don't have the the minutes and everything that that allows them to thrive in these pressure situations when you need to be on a string so um so that's the thing is to me it, to me the question is uh you know going back to you guys uh, is what adjustment would you make because to me the obvious adjustment to me is possibly starting uh, uh, possibly starting Chetty Osman for Isaac Okoro, uh, and then possibly starting Kevin Love 
uh, for Lori Marketing. So to me, those are the two obvious adjustments that you make based on veteran uh, savvy that you need for these situations. What do you guys think? I mean, do you guys make any moves? Do you guys stick with the starting lineup? I don't think you can do Chetty as a starter. I, I just think so much of, of where he's found success has been within limitations. Um, you could start Kevin. That's possible. I like that idea a little bit more, but um, it's tough to it's tough to to say with those adjustments because what they have right now and what they've had since Allen went down is a is a uh, personality crisis, uh, so to speak. And I, I don't want to get too into X's and O's because I've, I'm out of my depth there, admittedly. But when you looked at the the sort of quintessential Tower City defensive scheme. Uh, you're talking about a few different factors that all play into it. One, um, you're very switchy. You know, you've got guys that can that can guard the perimeter, and what comes out of that is you are able to put pressure into the corners with your bigs, and they're able to move quickly enough that they can still cover the paint. Right? Like that's a huge reason why they were so successful on defense when they were uh, early in the year, and they when they were healthier and, and they had better. Um, ball distribution and, and effort from from second string guards, um, and and it's a huge that. area where Kevin Love struggles is recovering to the oh, corner. Oh yes, no, he can't do that at all. And, and then and then they could eat those minutes though, where he couldn't do that because they still had length in the front court uh, with with you know four or five healthy bigs on the roster. Um, so even with like Markin in in that starting lineup, um, if if he if his man is in the corner, he can still help. And then, you know, they, they played this style where um, they'd be switching on the perimeter. But then once a primary action came, like, an, like you know, the offense started running something like a pick and roll or they started to try to penetrate or even uh, a high low pass. Uh, the defense was designed to collapse and help and then recover if needed. Um, and they haven't had that. It, it, that 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 was sort of a trick that worked really well with the full personnel. It hasn't worked without Allen. It didn't work particularly well without Mobley. Uh, they were able to kind of pull it off without Markinen. You know, so it's like when you're looking at two out of three of those guys. Um, and so there's not a lot they can, they, they can't really compensate for that loss with this roster. They tried it a little, a little bit with, uh, Moses Brown. We saw how that turned out. Um, and so they're really trying to, I think defensively, uh, basically learn a new scheme like you know changing this up they 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 were very man heavy i thought tonight uh they did yeah they did zone. play a good bit of zone in the first half but they did but even man heavy even just even within possessions with you know they, they didn't switch as much um and and they had uh they were very willingly following guys out of the paint uh early in the first half they were definitely trying to to make sure that uh the right person took the shot i thought they were actually pretty successful with that in spite of the 40 points in the first quarter um, which was again a, a very sort of fluky shooting thing that that ended up averaging itself out a little bit, um, but yeah, like you just can't you you have to end up manning up a little bit more when you don't have those sort of layers of help defense behind you, and that that's we've all sort of known that that's been the case uh, since we've lost one of the the three bigs, uh, so to speak, uh, the three starting bigs, counting Lori, and uh, yeah, they, they they haven't quite found a way to to defend well since then but I, I, honestly i thought tonight with uh holding holding the nets to 115 doesn't seem like a great defensive uh showing by any means but um they've they've shown more life in the last i'd say three games on the defensive end than they have since uh allen first went down oh for sure and and getting mobley back was a huge part of that and 
you know, tonight I thought their second half defensively was, was pretty darn good. Um, you know, a lot of that in the first half, uh, especially Kyrie Irving was just hitting a lot of ridiculous shots. Yeah. It and, didn't matter how they defended <laughs> at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and then, you know, Bruce Brown and then a bunch of other guys getting hot, um, and, and hitting some big shots was, was also big for them. And, you know, Kevin Durant, when he's hitting is unguardable, you know, Kevin Durant's, you know, mid ranger is probably one of the most unstoppable shots in the league. Yeah. Um, you know, that being said, there was a lot of stuff, you know, the rebounding in the first half was definitely problematic. Um, you know, a guy like Drummond gave him a lot of problems just because of his strength. Fortunately for them, you know, Drummond is not a guy that you really want to play in the fourth quarter because, you know, you can just foul him. Um, but I also thought the other big story of the game was the Cavs running out of gas again at the end. And that's what I'm very worried about in the next game. I mean, it was clear they managed Rondo's minutes in the first half. They gave him a lot of breaks. And I think he played – did he play the entirety of the second half? Ooh, I do it. If not, I mean, he, he played, played 26 minutes, though. So. In the second half? I mean, uh, overall. Overall. No, I mean – Garland? I don't know what he- did I say Garland oh. or Rondo? I meant Rondo. Oh, not, I, or, I meant Rondo. Garland. I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. I said I probably said Rondo and meant Garland. <laughs> Garland played the whole second half. Uh, nearly. I think no, everything no, but I... one minute. Okay. Right. So they gave him that Michael Jordan towards the end of the third quarter blow. Yep. <laughs> yep. I'm I'm dating myself there clearly. No, no. I mean, they held a, him out. They yeah, held him yeah, out. Of course. They held him out a little long in the first half. I, I, I saw people online freaking out. Yeah. About it, but I, well, I assumed I, it was because he was going to play the entire second half. Yeah, and he still they were still out of gas towards the end. I mean, they made some really kind of critical errors, I thought, when, you know, Claxton got that pass and uh, Garland was on him. Garland absolutely has to take a foul there instead of letting Claxton dunk. I mean, he's got to wrap up. I mean, that's just, you can't let a guy that shoots less than 60% from the free throw yeah. line get a dunk. I, it's that just, really reminds me. It's like one of those little things, right? Like, you know, you're in this playoff situation. You've been good at basketball your whole life. You're trying to figure out what you guys, you know, what your game plan is. You're thinking about scouting. And maybe the fifth or sixth thing in the back of your mind is, yeah. like, oh, I should foul X player in Y circumstance. Yeah. And um, I think that's a thing that will hopefully come with time. With a lot oh, of for sure. I, but I also think it's mental fatigue, too. Um, yeah, that's a good point. You know, because late they were up six or down six with 45 seconds left. And I'm like, you have to foul here. Like, you're not going to win the game if you let them run down the shot clock to into the 22nd mark. And they did that and still gave up a dunk. <laughs> and I'm like, well, if you're going to give up a dunk, you should have fouled 30 seconds, you know, 24 seconds ago. Um, that kind of thing. They weren't pressing. Uh, they just seemed very mentally exhausted and, you know, not prepared for the situation they were in. And, and obviously, in those situations, your odds of, you know, mounting a comeback at that point are low. And I wouldn't say they were quitting. I just think they got so tired and, you know, mentally exhausted, they kind of forget the situation that they're in. But, you know, again, it feels like you're getting to the end of the games and guys don't have the energy to finish these games. So 
definitely a priority in the off season is learning how to manage minutes and energy better uh, during games and, and getting the team ready to play the kind of minutes that they're expecting of them. Because if you don't do that, then those guys aren't going to succeed down the stretch. So, and, and that was, that is also what worries me about this next play in game um, is, is if they do that again. So I don't know any, any more big takeaways from tonight. I, I thought, you know, Bruce Brown was really good. Anybody we didn't talk about for the Cavs? I mean, to me, it's, uh, I mean, Rondo was awesome uh, in place of Isaac Okoro. Um, that really saved the, I mean, that was one of the, you know, that was one of the moves as well as Kevin Love and, you know, with uh, Mobley and everybody. The what, what was interesting to me was that Garland got turned into much more of a scorer tonight. And it was really, uh, you know, the it was Karis LeVert and Rajon Rondo having to run the offense a lot uh, because of that, um, just because they were just. They were playing the pass for they were they were playing the pass for Garland the whole time. I mean, six turnovers for Garland, uh, and he took twenty four shots. He probably that's the thing about Garland is does he have it in his DNA to start jacking up 30, 35 shots in a game because that's what the situation calls for. Like that's literally what the situation called for tonight, and he should have done it, you know, but it's hard to fault a guy for taking 24 shots saying you didn't shoot it enough. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's just going to be interesting. I, I'm, I'm just really intrigued if, if JB is going to make any diff, uh, decisions, uh, or, or, uh, changes for the next game to me. That's how many shots did question. A, yeah. How many shots? How many, did what? Levert, uh, how many shots did Levert put up? I'm on a, I'm in a rabbit hole over here on the internet. Yeah, yeah, he put up. He was four twelve for the night, and uh, as okay. Nate after going one and nine in the yeah, first half, yeah, so. exactly, exactly. So, um, and uh, it, and another interesting one was Mobley at nine for like the what, what was interesting about the offensive stats was that it looked like Garland and Mobley should have taken more of the offensive load, and Levert and Markinen should have taken less of the shot load. But, uh, you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that's true of Markin. And I think Markin took all the shots they were there that were there. He right. just wasn't finishing. I mean, you if they leave you open and, and you're next to the basket and you get blocked by Kevin Durant, then, you know, you should. Not that, you know, any mortal wouldn't have been blocked by Kevin Durant there. But, you know, Markin's got to go up stronger than he did. Uh, and he just missed threes. I didn't think Markinen was a problem. I do think Mobley likely – we didn't see Mobley get into his jump hook game hardly at all. Um, and we did see that one disastrous turnover where he tried to go coast to coast. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and they never really got in a situation where they could get Mobley in the short roll. And and I thought that was a little problematic. Like you need to give him some touches where he can be a playmaker, and they never really did that. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean the it was clear that the Nets' game plan was definitely to funnel the ball out of Darius Garland's hands. You know, I mean yeah. that was clearly objective number one. 
and they were successful at it. The The question became then afterwards is, uh, did, did Levert and Rondo, were they able to successfully feed, feed the guys? And they were, except it wasn't enough. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, well, and, the problem with those two guys is, yeah, you can feed everybody else, but you've also got to get your own offense, and that's what they – Exactly. You know, Rondo, you know, you know, it's all gravy with Rondo. And although actually, didn't he have seven points? Uh, He, let's see. uh, He had, yeah, yeah, seven points. Yeah. And actually, you know, if you're getting seven points out of Rondo on, you know, five or six shots, that's nine assists. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, that's good. The problem is Levert can't go one and nine in the first half. Well, we can, yeah, exactly. we can do. Right. We can, right. we can yeah. talk a lot about Levert, especially vis-a-vis the uh, email thread you were talking about with uh, was it uh, oh, Ben Worth? Ben, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there, there, there's a lot to the Karis uh, puzzle for sure. Yeah, I mean, I actually thought he passed the ball really well tonight um, when he wasn't trying to do too much, and when he was doing straight line drives, he was great. The problem was that that herky-jerky stuff, he just wasn't hitting, and it was... I I almost feel like he has too much wasted motion in his offense. You know what I mean? It's just... it. It's very... I feel like I he fakes himself out. Yeah, I think he's just... I think he kind of is slow to recognize. That's that's yeah. what I've noticed from him. Is just He's just a tick slower at recognizing what's going on I think there was an adjustment, though, that he did make, you know, after the one for nine debacle in the first quarter or whatever was, I think what he finally, he finally settled down and what he realized was when they're putting Kyrie Irving to defend him, take him to the basket. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> it, it was just, you, you don't need to dance him. on Kyrie. You need exactly. one screen and go or just exactly. get an angle and go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't need to do any herky jerky motions. You're, you're. Uh, There's a reason we nicknamed him Flypaper Irving. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, it it was just, he was just kind of slow to see that. And then, but finally he got going, you know, later in the game. But then the problem after that, like you said, is you, you waste all this energy trying to fight back and you just got nothing left in the tank in the fourth quarter. I mean, they just spent, they, they dug themselves a 20 point hole that they were trying to dig out of and they could dig out of, they were able to dig themselves out a 15 point hole, but that extra five points, you know, that 40 to 20, you know, just was a little bit too much to overcome. What were you going to say, Chris? Just that Levert's a frustratingly, my, probably my least favorite type of wing, um, especially on a team like this, uh, where, where, you know, he can be a really solid contributor uh, with sort of B level tools, um, you know, across the wing landscape, uh, at times, but, uh, you know, it, it, he's just, he, he doesn't quite seem to have the basketball IQ to, to facilitate in the way that he was sort of sold, uh, either by the front office to the team or, or whatever it was like when they brought him in, um, he hasn't been able to quite, I mean, again, he had, you know, seven rebounds, seven assists, 12 points, 40 minutes, like, it, it looks a little better on paper, I suppose, but um, you know he, he's not exactly uh, facilitating yet, and it's and, and it's going to remain a problem. I, I, it's hard to it's hard to believe that he had forty minutes in this game, and it's hard to believe that he'll have forty minutes in the next one. I, but I think you have to because there's nobody else. Like Rondo, a can't 
Rondo can't play that many minutes. You know, you're just <laughs> you're gonna kill the poor guy. And you know, I don't think well, Chit- if you can't play a Coro, you've lost four. You've lost thirty minutes. Yeah, that just like yeah disappeared. You know, if you can't play a Coro in these games. Yeah, well, Okoro's got to be better next game. And, yeah, this was not a good game for Okoro. So you got to hope he comes out, you know, ready to... He didn't... He seemed to be lacking confidence tonight, for sure. Sure. It affects him on both ends. When he's shooting poorly, his defenses also went downhill. And, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's just... It's really rough at that point. Yeah. I really noticed with him, he was having a very difficult time going over screens. And that's unusual for him. Yeah. Yeah, and with that, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs Podcast. I'm Nate Smith here with Chris Francis and Chris Lydon. And uh, Mr. Francis, you want to do uh, jump down the Isaac Okoro rabbit hole a little yes, more? Yes, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Thank you, thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that you said earlier about you know guys looking tired and managing minutes, and you know just overall kind of. Uh, the overall gestalt of it all, you know, the whole thing. And one of the things that bugs me about the situation with Coro is that how many minutes do we think he saw at point guard or, or in the six man type of role this, this season? Like what do you, would you say it was less or more than last season? Oh, I would say probably less. I I mean, he didn't get a lot of ball handling responsibilities. Right. Right. And, and and so what's kind of bugging me about the situation with Okoro here is that, you know, if JB, like say JB wants to make a move and like start Rondo or start Chetty or whatever, uh, you know, have options, you know, going into the next game is we there's been so few minutes of Okoro being on ball and just being developed in a variety of ways or whatever in the most successful way might I add because I mean like basically all of Cavs fans are holding on like pro Okoro guys are holding on to that 32 point game last you know last April right you know when when he went off in that overtime loss against uh Phoenix yeah, you and know? I believe they got robbed that game, too. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. At the yeah. end of regulation, they kind of got robbed, and then yeah, they got blown yeah. out in overtime. And and, we, and and if you can recall that game, that's Okoro. That was point Okoro, basically. He he was functioning as basically in that Garland role, you know, and and he was kind of running away with it. I mean, they, they were competitive in that game. And, and, and as you said, you know, I totally 100% agree. I don't think we've hardly seen Okoro on the ball. And it's just, you know, someone else made the observation. I can't remember if it was perhaps uh, Mr. Lydon, you know, in the last podcast, but one way to make Garland more guardable is being him being on the ball. I mean, when he's off the ball, he's going to be ignored, you know, period. And at this stage of the game, he is going to be ignored every time he's on the court on offense. You know, Who, you unless mean he's on the ball. Yeah, Okoro. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the fact that he's gotten no minutes at the six-man position is kind of just, uh, I feel like it's just a missed opportunity. You know, at the end of the day, this is when it, this is when it backfires on you. When you got these roles and you, you, you want to keep things consistent, you know, if you're JB, you know, but, you know, one of the most effective things that we saw offensively for Okoro was being on the ball. So, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but it's it, been it, like, so well, long. And yeah. 
I mean, to me, just the confidence isn't there at all right now to yeah. even attempt oh, that. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I, I mean, it's a little it's, bit of that. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, yeah, we did see a little bit of that uh, at the beginning of the year when Sexton was healthy. Um, That's true, and you're right because he wasn't starting then, right? Exactly, and, and I don't mm. think that I don't think the team views him uh, necessarily as a as a starter, uh, like uh, right off the bat. I mean, he may develop more. He's very young, but who uh, Okoro? The fact Okoro, yeah. Like I mean, I'm, and I'm one of the Okoro heads, so I'll I'll, I'll put my my pitch here for him, but. Um, I see him as a as a as a real two three wing off the bench probably, and a guy that you don't want in the corner, um, but you want him paired with a two like with a with a with a, a straight guard who has the length and defensive capability to try to switch with him so that he can be um, playing more a little bit with the ball and just moving like taking a defender and making that defender run. Instead of just letting them stash Seth Curry on you in the corner every 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 time down the floor, and if he's paired with a guard that can complement him better in those minutes, whether it's a bench guard or or a starting guard, um, then you can have him, uh, you know, still uh, defending one of the the elite scoring makers on the other team. And he just well, has not been in that position very often due to personnel and, and well, and but it's also scheme too. Like if you look at Isaac Okor, you look at his body, and you look at his game. What the Nets do with Bruce Brown would be the perfect role for Isaac Okoro. Put him in those small, small screen and rolls. If they blitz the screen and roll, let him be the short roll man because he is a good passer around the basket. Yes, and he'd be great even just setting picks, just getting him in the perimeter and active. Yeah, yeah. Because he can can get switched on to a really good offensive player on his defensive assignment and then just run the guy around. Just run the guy on laps on the baseline. For that matter, because yeah. you're not going to do anything else. Well, and and that goes to part of the Cavs' problem is that they their offense as a season has gone on, and you know I, I will cue Chris Francis saying Ricky Rubio here. Um, <laughs> Thank you. All right, their Thank offense you, has sir. gotten more simplistic. Uh, their screen game has gotten worse, both on the ball and off the ball, and. That becomes it becomes more difficult to manufacture points when you don't set good or in the playoffs, as we saw tonight, borderline illegal screens or not even borderline, just uncalled illegal screens. You've got to be able to do that um, to manufacture points, especially when you really need points in the clutch. So the fact that the Cavs have kind of gotten worse on that is, you know, a little bit of a knock on this play on this coaching staff. Um, that's one thing that, that they definitely need help on. But, you know, I think we've uh, identified a lot of ways that Okoro could help and they could use him better, but they don't. Um, but right now to me, it's like, I don't even know if you can put him in that situation because you've you kind of destroyed his confidence at this point. You, you can't, and, but, and I think it's more on the front office even than the, um, uh, coaching staff, but even then, I give the front office a bit of a pass because I don't think they were trying to build a playoff team this season. Uh, well, they were trying to cobble true. one together late, but like yeah. going into the season, this was still about development. Um, and so they did get caught with their pants down when uh, we were suddenly, you know, t- beating uh, beating our projection by twenty games or even thirty game pace before the All Star break. Yeah, and uh, so and that, a lot that of that Sikoro. was because you know Evan Mobley was so damn good. Um, 
Jared Allen turned into an all-star. Darius Garland turned into an all-star. And, oh, hey, we had six-man of the year Kevin Love. So, <laughs> you know, those four things happening uh, even negated uh, or, you know, somewhat even argue it were enabled by Colin Sexton going down. Um, it, it was an interesting, you know, way the season shook out. But, yeah, definitely a guy whose role – and if I was his agent, I would be a little annoyed at how the whole season has shaken out for him. Uh, would be would be Isaac Okora. His role was kind of always in flux, and he was supposed to be that defensive stopper and blah, blah, blah. But they put him in a That's lot a of difficult si- situations. It is. Well, they put him in, but also the injury luck put him in those situations. And outperforming the roster put him in those situations, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating next year. And, and I, I said during the break that I didn't want to – you know, get into the off season yet. Cause we're still in it, baby. But, um, I think we all know, and I think the front office agrees that, you know, you're looking at a, a three and D's sort of, uh, a wing with size. You're looking for a backup point guard and you're looking for, uh, depth at center. And like, those are the places that we obviously are missing right now. Um, and we, we had, uh, versions of, uh, during the successful run earlier in the season. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a little bit tough. Um, you know, part of that is you see these guys like, you know, Hartenstein would have, as we've all mentioned, really helped this team's depth. Uh, I would love to see a guy like, uh, Greg Mascala come in, uh, because I believe with his shooting, he can kind of help all these guys. I, I actually really liked the, um, Moses Brown signing, but I, I, I think, it's it's pretty hard to throw him in, you know. I said they really should have thrown him in for four minutes for Kevin Love, or when he was when Kevin Love was playing center, and at, even that's hard, you know. Well, maybe you know, you hope they luck out and sign like uh, uh or or draft super late, um, you know, like a Desmond Bain type who uh, can, uh you know can come out of nowhere. Maybe <laughs> well, the problem is fans, is Jacob so Rosen. Uh, longtime Cavaliers Twitter guy Jacob Rosen, who now runs analytics for the Grizzlies, doesn't run analytics for the Cavs. Um, and you know, sure, props to him. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah. you know, you can hit on those guys. Like the the three. Oh, you three can, but whatever, you yeah, you have to have a really good position scouting department. You have to get a little bit lucky. Yeah, and there are teams like you know if you're if you've got Embiid. Um, you know, Giannis, uh, uh, there are guys in the, in the five and four that can take you to the promised land. But in general, we have guys in those positions that can play with anybody in, in the entire league. And we have a point guard who's really, really good. And so it, it's not surprising to me, especially now with under the, the hot lights of the play in and against really stellar competition. I mean, I think the Nets are going to be really good through the playoffs. Um, you know, we're, the, the inadequacies are glaring and the, the big, ina- you know, inadequacy is, is from that wing position in a game like this. Uh, but it's that way for a third of the league. And so, you know, you gotta, you gotta try to find those guys and, uh, it, it's not easy. Yeah. And with that, we'll, uh, take another break. Welcome back to Cavs, the podcast, Chris Francis, what do you think of the Nets tonight? And what do you think, uh, they're going to do in the playoffs? What's the rest of the playoffs look like for them? Okay, so they face off against the Celtics? Is that, that is correct, correct. Yep. yeah. 
the okay. hottest team post All Star break Celtics, I believe. Ooh. Well, other than you know Memphis, yeah, oh, man, who who was just red hot all year. I mean, I've got a, I, I've chosen the bit of hater, like Brooklyn hater. So I'm just gonna say Celtics are gonna sweep them. So I'm just gonna dispatch of them easily. We're done. Really? Get get them out of my face. Get them out of my face. Get them out of here. Toss it's hot the bums here all out. Of a sudden. Toss the bums out. That's what I think of Brooklyn. Interesting. Is that what you feel, <laughs> or is that what you think? Is that your head or your heart? Is there a, is that a, is there a difference? Is there a difference? <laughs> is there a difference? I don't know. I yeah, feel so like let's in get fandom, into the mind body problem. That's yeah, what people are here exactly. for, baby. We're going down a dark path there. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, I'm just not a believer. They don't, I mean, so the thing about them, you know, okay, so they played some defense tonight, you know, which they haven't done at all this season. Uh, and so they did. And, you know, so we saw Kevin Durant can play defense when he wants to. He can be an excellent defender. But, I mean, can he sustain that level of play throughout the playoffs at the age of 30-what, one, two? When he's going against guys like Jason Tatum, 26, 27, and has those same two-way capabilities. What about Derek White and Marcus Smart defending him on the perimeter? You know, he's going to have to work harder against those guys as opposed to, you know, uh, Rajon Rondo or Isaac Okoro or, you know, uh, Karis LeVert or, you know, whoever, you know, on the Cavs. I I will say... Uh, you know, to counter you a bit, I actually think the Cavs are one of the teams that match up better with Durant than most, most because they do have a lot of length that they can put on Durant and Mobley and Markinen that can still kind of guard in space. I mean, obviously, no one no, that's can. Fair. Yeah, it's definitely I, fair. I don't. I think they're actually a bad matchup for Boston because of that. Like, who do you put on him if you're Boston? You putting Reggie Tice on him? You putting? Uh, Grant Williams. Oh, you're on definitely him. putting smart on him. You're definitely putting on smart Durant. On him yeah, because he's just going to shoot over him. But at least it keeps him out of the paint and keeps him out of. Uh, it's the best chance you got of keeping Durant out of his spots in the mid range. I think because of Marcus Smart's strength. And I think what yeah, you I do mean, is if, you just if roll we held him, him, if we held quote held KD to 25 points tonight, um, I think Boston can hold him to 25 as well. I, I honestly think a lot of that's matchup based, and I think Boston's a terrible matchup, or the Nets are a terrible matchup for Boston. Um, now, that being said, there's a lot of, you know, I don't know who on Boston you stick on Jason Tatum consistently. Um, that You know, that's problematic. And I also think... Uh, I think it would be Bruce Brown, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, probably, but I think Jason Tatum... <laughs> you know, Bruce Brown. Yeah, you should and, rock that matchup. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, to me, I think it's going to be Nets and six, just because they are such a bad Ooh. matchup for oh, the Celtics. Wow. Um, Kyrie's revenge on Boston. I, I think is that, that what I'm hearing is also a little bit. Here's the other thing: Kyrie isn't worn down like every other player in the league. That's true. Uh, um. And I do think Boston's probably a little deeper, but uh, not having Rob, Robert Williams is really going to hurt, especially because 
you know, we saw tonight Claxton played really well for them. And they actually Drummond. have a, Drummond did. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, Drummond didn't do as many mercurial Drummond things as we're used to seeing. We'll, we, we will see some boneheaded plays from Drummond. And I actually think the fact that uh, Boston is a, is pro- a little stronger uh, with Daniel Tice and and some of these other guys, they're they're gonna old nemesis Al Horford and and <laughs> yes Al Al big game Horford's. <laughs> but nice. yeah, I just I think Boston's got this one. I think they're just or not Boston. Uh, the Nets got this one. I think they're just. A better matchup. I don't know. Uh, Chris Lydon, Boston or or Brooklyn? I think Brooklyn, but I think it's going to be really close. I think this is going to be a really tough uh, matchup for them. Uh, so I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Here. I'm on an island. You guys, <laughs> you, you guys are convinced I, I the seven-point win against the Cavs usually I, makes no, them... No. Here, yeah, uh, here's here's my thinking on this. And, and as you guys know from my earlier uh, predictions... Um, I do have the Nets going uh, pretty darn far. Um, oh, okay, I, I forgot about that. I, yeah, so yeah, maybe I'm maybe I'm just like speaking that into existence a little bit, like riding or, or dying with my prediction. But um, KD is is uh, one of the best players in the NBA at his position, and so is Kyrie, and that puts them in every single contest. It's it's not going to be crazy to think, no matter what else is happening on the floor, that those guys are going to put up seventy points combined. You know, it's it's very possible and they have enough offensive fire, you know firepower from their role players to to more than make up for the rest of the points yeah i mean seth, seth curry no isn't going to go scoreless no. in every game you know yeah Pat, patty mills could come in and score 18 points off threes like no problem you know oh absolutely and and so they're they're just really dangerous offensively and then the rest of the stuff doesn't matter as much i do think that the celtics are 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 in a, you know going to be in good shape for that and, uh, you know, I, but I think they're gonna, they're gonna go on. I think they'll play the Bucks in the next round, uh, after a close one with the Celtics. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, you know, and I don't know any, any rebuttals, Chris. You just think we're both crazy and you want to sign off right now. No, no. I mean, I think, you know, Boston's got to love the position they're in, man. You know, I feel like if, 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 you know, they could really rally around if, if, you know, the idea that, uh, you know, oh, you know, the Nets are the team to be afraid of. And, and remember, they were the team, uh, you know, it was cool to hear Ime uh, talk talk trash, you know, because uh, he was interviewed about going for the second seed because they went all out, you know, they they went for the second seed. We saw the Bucks did not. Who? Um, Ime Udoka? Yes, Ime Udoka, okay. yes. Um, uh, the Boston coach, and, you know, he, he was just like, we're not afraid of anybody, you know. We bring, we don't care. We're, we're going for the best, you know, the best seed we can possibly get, most home court advantage we could possibly get, and let the chips fall where they may. You know, we take all yeah. Coverage, so, you know. Yeah, I, I, just feel I like, think that's fine in the regular season, but, you, you know, Darius Garland was also promising a win tonight, so... <laughs> well, I mean, it is a difference. Here's the thing. I mean, with Tate, the, the Jasons, they've been to the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, they're not just some pushover that's, you know. In fact, I would say that there's a degree of pressure on them that they've underachieved since then. You know, because they were kind of expected to contend. 
and uh, they've gotten ran out uh, twice now, I think, or is it has been twice? I don't know, but yeah, uh, you know, at least twice, you know, uh, I think under. Yeah, I just like, think losing Time Lord hurts them a lot. No, I mean, I, I agree. I I totally agree with you. I just think. You know, I think the pickup of Derek White is going to prove itself worthy uh, in these playoffs. <laughs> is what I think is actually you're, you're going to standing Nate Smith's analytic skills is what you're doing. Yes, that's right. That's okay. right. I mean, I, he's I a can premier defender. Uh, he's a smart guy. He's going to be able to fight on the perimeter. And, and you're talking about Derek White, not me, right? Or Kobe right. White, not me, right? <laughs> Derek White. Dang Derek it. White. I Derek can't even White. get the name right Come on the show, man. man. So I mean, terrible. they've got they've got Marcus Smart, uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. They've got a whole set of perimeter defenders on Boston squad that's going to be problematic for Kyrie Irving and KD to go off for the four games that it's going to be necessary to win. Well, and and, and they're very switchy. Yeah, exactly. And they're going exactly. to put the Nets defenders in a lot of. You know, Boston runs a lot of small, small screen action. Mm -hmm. And that is going to be, you know, Seth Curry and Patty Mills are going to struggle. And Kyrie Irving are going to struggle to contain that. Yeah. Um, You know, and I I take Derek White and Marcus Smart over Patty Mills and Seth Curry. Yeah. You know, and and I, I think that they'll present a challenge, at least to Kyrie. They won't back down, so... You've got you've got me slightly convinced. I mean, because they're a really well coached synergy based team. You know, like they're they're sort of outperforming. Right. They've got Spurs fives, um, which is a, a big compliment. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, 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 at the very least, that's something for the the Cavs to sort of look toward um, how to put a team together like that. In fact, I would say that they kind of. I would argue that Boston really kind of took a page out of Cleveland's book this season with when they started Time Lord with Al Horford. You know, I think they kind of saw that and bit that and ran with it, and it paid off massive dividends because of the talent and then Time Lord is. Daniel Tice yeah. back to the mix. Exactly. You know, you're absolutely right. Yeah, because he, he, compl- he can play with those two bigs, too. You're absolutely right. So Is, t- you know, is uh, I just, Time Lord out for the whole playoffs? I believe that he is. Yeah. Is he okay? So they well, unless they get real deep, I think is yeah, the, that's probably correct, right? Yeah. So that no, you're absolutely right. That's the biggest blow uh, to that's really the uh, the dark cloud hanging over the Celtics is Time Lord's absence, a hundred percent. So I, I see where you're going with that because I mean he's a huge piece defensively, yeah. but with him being out, you know, it it certainly doesn't make him any less switchy. I mean, obviously, I think they'll right. be hunting out uh, Al Hor- Al Horford is a guy you hunt on defense at this point, but <laughs> but That's yeah, right. it'll be interesting. I yeah, so you know, going back to the Cavs, um, I think we're gonna cover them a little bit more in the you know the second or the tail end of this podcast. But who would you rather see the Cavs play on Friday? Uh, Atlanta or Charlotte, and I'll go to you, Mr. Leiden, first. You know, it's tough. I haven't seen these teams play a ton, um, but I, I was kind of, you know, looking at matchups a little bit and trying to think about answering a question just like this. Um, I don't think it'll matter too much because I really like 
the Hornets uh, to beat the Hawks. Uh, but it's a one play, you know, it's a, it's a one game stand. And so anything could happen. Um, I think I'd rather face the Hornets though. And I, I'm I with you mainly up. because I just hate watching Trey Young play basketball. Yeah, there's that. I mean, yeah, that's, he's one of the unholy trifecta of <laughs> NBA players that can make me hate a game that I normally love. Um, but, uh, yeah, I do think the Hornets can pull it off. I think they've got uh, really good momentum going into this and uh and yeah i think we match up decently well with them and that's uh you know even without alan i i think that uh they stand a chance there and uh i like their odds nice and when we come back i will get uh chris francis's uh take so stay tuned welcome back to Cavs a podcast i'm nate smith here with chris francis and Chris Lydon, and we're looking forward to the Friday matchup of the Cavs versus the winner of the Hawks and Hornets. Uh, Chris Francis, who who do you want here? Well, I went on record, so I'm going to stick with it. I want the Hawks. I think they're the better team, and that's who I want. Uh, well, I and you got to remember, the Cavs have a playoff win streak, I believe, that is like at 18 games against Ooh, the Hawks. Are Although, you serious? Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, it, it's insane. Not bad. <laughs> it is. Yeah. We, the Cavs. I love it. Them. You just, oh my God, that's the best stat ever, Nate. That is, it, it's that ridiculous. Is the that was the freaking clincher right there. That's, that's what I'm talking about is I want the Hawks because they were eternally doomed to suffer at the hand of the Cavs. Trey Young will pay for his crimes. So that's that's what I want. Uh, you know, uh, I guess we were just talking off air about the uh, I, I you know, I, I think that the Hawks are definitely the better team. The reason why is actually because of Clint Capella. Um, I think Clint Capella is the difference basically between the two teams. So I think with the Hawks, they can play a semblance of amount of defense, whereas uh, Charlotte is really deficient at the five position. They've just never, you know, one of the biggest screw ups of this, you know, how many teams should have signed Isaiah Hartenstein, you know, this past <laughs> off season, how many teams? Cause I can tell you that Charlotte should have been one of those teams because their center position is a disaster. It's still been a disaster. Somehow Bismack Biombo has been resurrected. You know, Chris Paul did his witchcraft on Bismack Biombo. So now he's <laughs> hey, don't, awesome. Don't knock the biz. Don't knock the biz. You're right. You're right. So, <laughs> no, I mean, 12, there was obviously something wrong. He has Charles outlasted his draft mate, Tristan Thompson. So. Ooh. 12 and 0 Ooh. is the mark, by the way. We're 12 and 0. Uh, 12 and oh wow 12 yeah they won the last 12 let's get the bakers yeah. done I, yeah i and you know lebron may have had something to do with that <laughs> a little bit i was at game four uh at, at home uh versus the hawks when we swept them in oh. uh 2015 i guess that oh happened. god yeah Pure it was awesome people were selling their tickets because it was like you know they were gonna win <laughs> like it, they were they were so assuredly going to sweep them that everybody showed up like twenty thousand people showed up so like there were a bunch of empty seats and I swear half of them brought like uh, brooms with them to the game. Um, yeah, it was a great game. 
Yeah, I mean, Love it. Uh, I'm I'm going through the Hawks roster now. I think I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Clint Capella is is definitely their second best player. John Collins is out for the rest of the year, I believe. Yeah, um, that's scary. They just paid him, right? Yeah, so. and then of course, you know they they go about nine deep because you know Gallinari kind of plays that that ninth man, um, or eighth man, and then they got Hunter and Herder and Bogdanovich and. You know, one of the things that is good about them is all three of those guys can play make a little along with Young. So they're really good at making the extra pass and, you know, swinging the ball around. And then DeLon Wright has helped them a lot uh, recently. Uh, mm-hmm. I got to look at his game log. But I I think I would rather play um, Charlotte just because I feel like Atlanta has a little bit more experience. Um, but, and on paper, I feel like the Cavs match up better with Atlanta, but it hasn't been that way this regular season. And I feel like, um, I, I, for, for whatever reason, well, probably because he's from there, uh, Colin Sexton always gets up for Atlanta games and always kind of had their number and, the Cavs have not played Trey Young well. One of the things they're really terrible at, and part of that is because they start, um, or because they start Isaac Okoro, is they don't punish Trey Young on defense nearly as much as you have to to beat Atlanta oh, consistently. Man, so aggravating, dude! Oh my god, you're so right. And oh my god, that is where the Cavs are really, you know, I don't know if they have that. If they can put a lineup out there where that is one where I would absolutely start Chetty Osman, you know. Ooh, we got one, boys. We got one. We reeled one in finally. An <laughs> hour, hour two, we got one. I mean, that is All a right. situation where I would consider starting Chetty Osman because I just think you have to, have to, have to punish Trey Young on defense because he's literally the worst defensive player in the league in extended minutes. Um, but the Cavs don't do that. So, <laughs> you know, that that's one place I'd look because Okoro isn't giving you enough offense to do that. The problem is... You Chetty, t- we did see a Chetty post-up today. What was that? Oh, a post-up, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He drew a foul, too. So, you know, anything is possible. Yeah. Chetty, I believe in you. <laughs> I, I, so I'm going to go, but honestly, you know, the way the matchup shakes out, I, I think they can beat Atlanta. I don't like them playing Atlanta because they never seem to get any calls this year. Um, but I think the Hawks are better for them. I think they'll get more respect from the reps against the Hawks too. And a lot of that is because of that just egregious worst call I've seen in any level of basketball officiating in, in, in 20 years game. in that Charlotte game where they just <laughs> gave him four points for no reason. <laughs> but um, I, I think they just have a – it's an easier matchup to win against Charlotte, and they're not as experienced. And the Cavs, um, you know, center position, I think they, even with – if it's just uh, Laurie and Mobley, they're better than Charlotte. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and I like, uh, I like the Cavs playing underdog – 
uh, in a win or go, win or go home setting a little bit too. Um, even though Ooh, I like that experience angle. is so important. Um, they were going into so you this think, game knowing. You think uh, Atlanta slight favorites is your going to be your call in, if if it's Atlanta? Yeah, maybe. I mean, it, it's tough. I, I I think they're in it on they're they're in it against either team, but um, you know we will have a I think a little bit more urgency out of out of the team in that in in that winner or go home scenario. I think the Cavs kind of weren't positive that they were going to pull out the win tonight and knew that they didn't necessarily have to. And uh, there might be some sort of uh, psychology behind that a little bit that will help the Cavs in a single game uh, situation. But obviously that benefits the other team too. But I like the young, the young plucky underdog uh, scenario a lot in that, um, which is part of why I think the matchup might go a little bit better versus Charlotte. Um, who are the same sort of, you know, uh, vibes based team in a lot of ways uh you know they have like sort of uh just thundering amounts of talent um at times but it's a little bit reckless um and uh you know that might be able to to give the uh, Cavs a little bit of an edge uh even without Allen. yeah it's interesting who who's hosting that game charlotte's hosting yeah yeah i i i actually think that will give them an edge um the other side of it is yeah, I don't know. It, it depends on how they officiate Trey Young, too. I mean, if we see the same kind of BS and he gets rewarded for that, they're very hard to beat. Um, <laughs> so it, it'll be interesting, less, right? I mean, you got to, but yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I actually to. thought the officiating tonight was okay. Although, boy, howdy, did. Uh, Kevin Durant get away with so much contact in the first half. Like, they were just yeah. not calling anything on him. It was pretty ridiculous. Garland got a little hosed as well. Um, no, I mean... Really physical with him. No, I mean the way Kevin Love was, or Kevin Durant was defending people, he was yeah. smacking people around on defense. And, yeah, Garland, Garland got that... Did not get the whistle either in those cases. I think he actually got hit in the head in the first half by Durant yeah. on a no call. Yeah. Well, and I mean, to the Cavs credit, they did get, I think it was a four point possession because Dragic uh, tagged, uh, tagged Garland in the jimmies. Dragic for jail. Dragic for jail. <laughs> tagged Garland no in the jimmies on a tech, fo- on a take exactly. foul. Exactly. You trying to play innocent too. Come on, man. <laughs> it was rough, but we did. We did. Uh, let's see. Yeah, we we beat him on free throws, so it didn't yeah. become as much of a fact. Yeah, no, I didn't think the officiating was terribly. Yeah. Well, you know, I have to give credit to Katie and Kyrie for not being just abject, like morally deficient flop artists. Yeah, you know, they are not. <laughs> uh, ref- no, they are not those guys. No, they aren't. So respect to that. I, I respect that. You yeah. Know? So no, I, I didn't talk. have a problem. Like a lot of people really hate the Nets, and I'm like, I don't really hate the Nets. I mean, Kevin Durant is a really, really good player, and <laughs> he's just—it's so frustrating to play that guy because you can play him absolutely perfectly, and he still beats you. Yep, I like him yeah. a lot better without Harden. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. I, I agree. I actually agree. So, yeah. oh, also, let's talk about probably the best. Thing I saw that game, which was Ben Simmons' uh, woke le- <laughs> woke leprechaun suit 
um, <laughs> on the sideline with the green leather pants and the green sport jacket. No, not leather pants, green leather shorts and a green sport jacket, a white shirt and a gold chain. And I, all I could think of was, I want me pot of gold. <laughs> Oh, man, man fashion, guys- fashion now and always has belonged to the streets and uh, these uber uber rich guys with the uh, with all the money in the world just end up uh, getting it stolen by somebody who's going to dress them in a lambskin <laughs> short, <laughs> short suit combo. Uh, oh, my to God. Completely clash with all of the colors on the bench as they sit there like an idiot who hasn't played basketball since last summer. <laughs> yeah, so great. Yeah. So my my Simmons tidbit is apparently there was a screenshot going around of Simmons. Like apparently he was like logged into like a video game forum for like 18 hours straight. <laughs> and, very, very nice. Yes. And so apparently the rumors are that he has gamer back and that's why he's out is because he's been gaming too much uh, in his gaming chair. Dude, so that, it's, that, a, it's a scourge. It's a scourge that affects all uh, sports and perhaps uh, an entire generation of Zoomers. There's there's similar dirt out there about uh, Baker Mayfield's, uh, you know, uh, video gaming sessions before game nights. It's a real ooh, thing. It's a pit you can fall into. It's, it's, the, it's like it's it's like the like Coke in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> These guys now. It's a wild, it's a wild skirt. Well, when you put it like that, actually, now I'm hard pressed to criticize this. Do you know what I mean? Like, you, oh, all I'm of a sudden, you just changed the perspective wrong. on my end here. But yeah. Ben Simmons, like, you know, it's a wild thing because I, you know, it's just like I get he's gotten a lot of shit, um, and uh, people have probably treated him pretty inhumanely, which is always super gross. But at the same time, I watched that guy shit his pants in the playoffs. Uh, worse than anybody since uh, since Pierce literally shit his pants, uh, <laughs> and, and you just you can't you know you just get their asses, Chris. Get you're just not going to live that shit down. Like <laughs> like that's a that's a serious thing. Like you know, like you you fucked up really bad, like really bad, <laughs> and now you know, and now you're not healthy. So uh, rough situation. I think he'll come back from it, but uh, yeah, whew. Supposedly he's coming back in the playoffs. Like he apparently he's going to debut round one. Well, so there we'll we go. Watch out, and that's why I picked the Nets because I didn't. No, I didn't. Um, Ooh, I didn't know. That. You didn't know. Would no, that to me, your mind? to me, would that actually change your mind if you if you knew Simmons was coming back. Would well, you take them? I, I will say that Simmons at the five. I could know, make that scary. team really dangerous. No, you're right. You're right. If he was replacing all of Bruce Brown's minutes, or or Drummond, that, that's you know, right. Yeah, right. Sure. But he would have to have taken like a lesson in humility from this experience, and it doesn't seem like it's breaking that way, right? I I like don't know. I if you dress as a woke leprechaun, I don't know how that's not humble. Like you're you're it's just a, you're. You're a, you're an <laughs> Irish going around today that said that he was walking around like Jordan. <laughs> oh Lord, what do you mean? <laughs> insane. Yeah. No, there was like it was. Uh, I, I think it was Scoot B, our our old friend Scoot B. Or maybe I've got that attribution wrong, but apparently there was there was an unnamed Nets player that told him. Oh, it was a great quote. It was. It was something to the effect. Oh, he. There was an unnamed Nets player that said, "Quote." You need to do something with your life, unquote. 
and he apparently said this to Ben Simmons and there's like all this story about how they're talking him up in practice because he's been practicing with the team and they're saying that now he's walking around like Jordan like his confidence is sky high and he's ready to come back well there you go you heard it here first (laughs) oh wow that's fantastic until it almost makes you pine for a Nets Philly series Ooh. Almost. Is that possible? No, I'm sure yeah, they could meet at some point. Ooh, yeah, you're right. Eastern Conference I, it's finals. possible, and I think it happens. Oh, you think it happened? That was the hottest I of do. hot takes. Okay. Well, yeah, I have, I have we're going to take branch. a real quick break, <laughs> and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs of Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and I'm here with Chris Lydon and Chris Francis. And we're going to talk NBA awards season. And I think... The number one award that is on the top of all of our lips is who's a rookie of the year and why is it Evan Mobley? Chris Francis, go. Because <laughs> I know you're passionate about it. I always feel like we always start with Chris Francis. We always – and then I interject and then, it's then it's Chris Lydon brings us home. There you go. There you go. We got, we're Don't give away the formula, Nate. <laughs> uh, exactly. I know. Exactly. We need to patent that. But, uh, <laughs> Lightning in a bottle. That's right. Well, I mean, the the biggest, the best argument I think that that the best pro Mobley argument that I've heard personally is the fact that I mean he's a legitimate uh, he's a legitimate candidate for all defensive team, you know, and that you know I get you know I get that Scotty Barnes has had the all around season. He's putting up similar stats. He's on a more successful team. Uh, you know, they, they clinched or whatever. Um, but I just think, you know, there's definitely, to me, I feel like Evan Mobley literally is a legitimate candidate for something that only, like, that puts him in top 10 category in something. You know, like, th- that's what you're getting at when you get on the all. All defensive team. I don't know how many teams there are. Are there three or there are two defensive teams? I don't know. But I mean, there are two. Okay, there's two. But I mean, he's in the conversation. So I, I just feel like you have to, you know, defense is completely underrated in this game. It's criminally underrated. And that's going to change with Evan Mobley. It's a new day, a new era. And today and for moving forward, we appreciate defense, so that's my that's my take on Evan Mobley. Defense rules uh, and stops are what it's about. Do you do you? Uh, so who's the better runner up? Is it Scotty Barnes or is it Kate Cunningham? Ooh, I, I gotta go. I gotta go, Scotty Barnes. Okay. Shout out to Eli. Sorry, you're you're, you're missed, Eli. But no, uh, I'll, I, I'll, I'm I'll with you. You know. I'll always go with that with the, you know, the best facilitator and scorer on a bad team. So, yeah. And yeah. well, exactly. And, Although, I know. mean, Cade looks like he's going to be every bit the player we thought he was. He, he just absolutely started no, I mean, the, the so hate. slow that yeah. it's hard to, you know, it's a full season award. Oh, yeah. People, I mean, there is a lot of Cade haters out there, I think, or it seems like there are. And I, I don't know why. They, it. The, yeah. The kid. I mean, I, I haven't seen anything I disliked about the kid. Yeah. So. I think it's more just a reaction against, you know. No, you want to know what it is. 
It is no toxic way. Raptors fans. That's what it is. Ah, you're right. <laughs> you're absolutely right. Oh, that's right. I, I mean, it. because I don't, I don't hear it from Cavs fans. Like, Cavs fans are not going after Cade Cunningham. But, yeah, it's toxic Raptors fans. Bitter over the Fred Van Vliet, uh, Darius Garland snoot at the uh at the all-star game so or snit i guess wow what what is that they 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 we're obviously they they have misplaced aggression against us we're not their enemy i i was it uh um you know i was going back and forth on twitter the other day is like Raptors fans are going to lose their minds having to watch James Harden and Joel Embiid in a playoff series. Like, literally, Buffalo could be in the crosshairs as they try to get to Philly from Toronto. So, <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, I'm my rookie of the year. Uh, it's having my, but I will say, I, I get, I don't get this like weird thing where people get really passionate about this award that's like kind of mostly meaningless um, of who's rookie of the year and, you know, all these other awards. It's like, you know, if it's not that big of a deal, if it doesn't happen, you just move on. Um, people, I, I don't understand award season in some ways. Like people get really mad about it, but of course I'm the guy that always hated that, uh, the GM of the year went to the the Warriors GM, so maybe it's just not, not my year. Uh, maybe maybe I'm getting too old for these petty battles, but it 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 certainly doesn't move me the way it used to. I find the whole thing a bit silly, but also Evan Mobley totally deserves it for all the reasons you just stated. So, what about you, Mister Leiden? What's your take on the whole Rookie of the Year situation? Yeah, I think uh I think Evan Mobley deservedly wins rookie of the year uh for this season. Um and I think you can splice it anyway, uh quantitatively or qualitatively. Um and in a majority of those uh forms of analysis you're going to you're going to see really compelling evidence uh for him. Uh he finished top 10 in a, in a bunch of statistical categories including a, a lot of uh disruption on the defensive end with uh, his, uh, ability to block altered shots, uh, percentage, you know, like versus uh, at the rim, like opponent percentage finishing at the rim. Um, you know, he, 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 he's answered a lot of questions about him as a player before he came in this year. Well, and let's look at the other thing, how much better the Cavs are with him on the floor. I mean, well, that, yeah, I mean, or nine in the last the 13. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like the fourth thing on my list of different ways you can qualify and quantify this. I mean, advanced stats, like box stats, uh, being a good defender as a rookie, which is supposed to be very, very difficult. Like that's right there. Exceeding expectations, answering the questions people had of you as a rookie. Uh, people were worried about his size, his ability to, to be physical at the rim. Um, and I, I wrote a piece, uh, way back, uh, before Christmas on the site about, how his uh, last game in high school, his uh, last game in college, and his first game in the NBA were all very statistically similar. Like it's, it's just translated very well, um, and that's something that really should be taken into account when you're thinking about Rookie of the Year, right? Like, how did you just bring your tools to the next level and continue finding your success? Um, yeah, 
it, it's 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 a pretty straightforward case uh, for me. Um, it's it's a crowded field, but uh, yeah, I think he deserves it. I'm glad he came back at the end of the season too. Something that helped his odds as well after losing a little bit of time. Awesome. So let's move on to the other award that, um, you know, the Cavs uh, feel like they're in contention for, and that would be sixth man of the year, uh, who I think the league consensus uh, from what I'm catching, just, you know, scrolling through some stuff is that it's Tyler Harrow. And of course, um, I'm just going to go back to you, Chris Francis, and tell us why the sixth man of the year is Kevin Love. <laughs> oh man. I mean, the, I mean, it's because he does more than just score points. It's he impacts the game on so many more levels than Tyler Hero does. I mean, he rebounds. He's still an elite rebounder, uh, elite jump shooter. Uh, the if you extrapolate his minutes out to per thirty six, you know he was having one of his best seasons basically offensively uh, since Minnesota. You know, so you know, and, and what I was about to pull up here is you know if we look at expected wins by EP, you know, EPM's expected win measure, he's got Tyler Hero beat by uh, 1.1 wins. So, I mean, he's in the 84th percentile of the NBA in estimated win shares. Uh, and uh, in his, you know, uh, you know, has exceeded uh, Hero's numbers. And so I feel like just the impact that he has on offense uh, is multifaceted. He's a passer. He's a rebounder. Um, his defense actually was pretty good uh, considering he's 33, you know, and never was mobile. So, uh, you know, I feel like he had an all-around game if you were paying attention. John Holland, shout out to John Hollinger. He knows. He knows ball because he picked uh, Kevin Love, and it's not particularly close, and he's right. So shout out to John Hollinger. Um, the real heads know. Kevin Love, NBA champion, sixth man of the year. And I'll, I'll take it as another step further. The, one of the problems is, is Tyler Harrow is not really a bench player. He's a starter who comes off the bench. He still plays 32 minutes a game, which are starters' minutes. Um, That's right. Reach it. And, you know, that a little bit that's disingenuous. I mean, obviously, Mano Ginobili kind of mastered that role um, as as literally probably a Hall of Famer for the Spurs um, and was one of the best players in the league um, coming off the bench. I but, love that because actually you're saying you're actually implying that Love had even a greater impact in fewer minutes. So Oh, I'm oh absolutely. Yeah. And so, um, absolutely, you know. And yeah, uh, and and so that's why like, I I almost feel like Miami is kind of like setting setting that up for him. So I mean, whatever. But you know, well, it's a charity award because they're the number yeah. one seed, right? No, oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's why they're pushing this. I yeah, think, you know, um, that's what why it, the narrative. Yeah, what about you, Chris Francis or Chris Lydon? Lydon. Sorry. Oh, you're fine. Um, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about how, uh, Kevin Love deserves to, but will not win, uh, six man of the year. Oh, no, he uh, won't. I, yeah. It's going to be I Tyler think, Harrow. Yeah. I think he will. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm putting on my, uh, philosophy cap. I'm thinking about existentialism a little bit because man is Kevin Love the essence of the sixth man, right? 
like a guy is giving you he's he played 22 minutes a game on average this season and he's elevating the entire team um offensively um and he's giving veteran leadership which is something that's you know a little bit less uh frequent in in six man of the year award history um but yeah he's the quintessential one like he's the one you want in that role for your team um his shooting has been great um and Tyler Hero is playing 10 minutes more a game um but he's the existence right like he's the he's the image of sixth man that we all see and hear from you know TV and media and I think that will win the day unfortunately uh but yeah Kevin Love's been been incredible Awesome. So another award that uh, ca- uh, a Cavalier is up for, and probably a lot more likely odds to win than six man, most improved. Um, this is an award where there's a lot of really worthy guys this year. Um, you know, at the top of that list, obviously Darius Garland, who went from being a good starter to NBA All Star level and you know, possibly top six point guard in the league, um, which is, you know, rarefied air. Um, but you've also got these other guys that have made this leap, like John Morant's gone from being an all-star level player to an MVP level player. Um, you've got, uh, you know, DeJounte Murray, who's, you know, putting up a base seven triple double every night. Um, you know, you've got, uh, guys like Anthony Simons, um, you guys, guys like Jaron Jackson Jr., who, you know, to me, his improvement on defense has been phenomenal. So, I, I don't know. Uh, who do you guys have as uh, as your most improved, and why is it Darius Garland? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, go ahead and yeah, we can't mess with the order at this point. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, I'm on the. You know, he's almost too good for the MIP award. He should be in the conversation for all NBA. He should be conversation for MVP. That's how much I think of those. I mean, you know, I'm biased. You know, I've always been a Darius Garland guy. But, uh, you know, he's clearly the most improved. I mean, just the way he was able to carry the offense and elevate the offense for the Cavs this season. I mean, kind of going back to, you know, way back in the – earlier in the conversation about kind of the, the identity crisis of the Cavs. It, it was kind of driven in part by Darius Garland's emergence on offense. You know, there was finally a guy that they could go to besides Jared Allen. You know, it, it was Darius Garland that was basically now, okay, he's the focal point of the offense now, as opposed to Tower City. You know, and that's why I think there was a bit of an identity crisis all the way around for the Cavs. You know, uh, without uh, Mobley, without Arkadim, without now Allen and both of them and all that kind of thing is, uh, you know, it was the emergence of Garland as a superstar player. And uh, so, I mean, I think he runs away with it. I mean, the guys that you listed, the only one that could even put in the conversation, to my mind, is Ja. Uh, and also, and if you get down to the nitty gritty about Ja, you know, I feel like he's got a better squad. I think I think he has a deeper squad. You know, look at the record that they had without him. You know, I think it kind of proves that that squad is just ridiculous. Uh, just the talent. You know, you know, no shade to no shade to John Moran. I love him as a player, but and also the shooting. You know, if you look at the shooters that these guys are, 
you know, I think Darius Garland has a clear edge on uh, Morant as far as a guy who can get it done in more areas of the court than uh, Morant, even though Morant has that supernatural finishing ability. So, yeah, for um, sure. I mean, yeah. and, and Garland's just become a usage monster. Like, mm-hmm. he's just one of these high usage players that you put the ball in his hands and good things happen. And those guys... Yep. He's an offensive system unto himself. Very, very rare in the NBA. And exactly. And, you know, you can say a lot of things about things that Kobe has done good and things that Kobe has done bad, but the guy has literally drafted two guys with absolute superstar potential in Garland and Mobley. So, um, yeah, that's that. And you've done it in four years. That's pretty darn good. So, uh, Chris Lydon, you you want to take us into the break? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> uh, Darius Garland is uh, uh, going to fall victim to what you mentioned, uh, playing himself out of the Most Improved Player award. And I think Trey Young has done that as well, because I think these guys, I'll, I'll talk about Darius uh, specifically, obviously. Uh, yeah, but Trey was an all-star last year. Yeah, but the, but they're but he's still growing. I mean, I, I think I don't want to I don't want to argue about Trey, but let me just say about Garland at least, and you'll see the similarity as I as I go. I hope um, he's on a superstar trajectory that is not abnormal for players who are that level of good, right? Um, Kyrie Irving doesn't win Most Improved Player his third or fourth year, uh, and, and I will compare him directly to Kyrie because I think. His ceiling is 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 Kyrie Irving level, um, especially on the on the creation side. Um, he's going to be really good, I think. And 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 no, so he he already play. is really good. Yeah, but I mean, like, like I think he might be like, yeah. You said top six. I think he's he's going to be there already. Like that's his floor for next season. He could be top two, top three in the league as some of these guys age out. But um, interesting. I digress. I, I I think, I think it goes to somebody like Jared Jackson Jr. I think, I think it's, I I think it's a little bit of a, uh, hey buddy, good job award. (laughs) That, uh, I think so too, but this is just from what I've been reading. A lot of people have him picked. So, um, and that would be awesome. It would be great. I think it's, and, and I'm going to argue against myself here for a moment, but, um, aside from rookie of the year, this, I think you're accurate in that this is, this is the next most likely, uh, win for the team it is him uh, taking that home. Um, yeah. And let's go to, well, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs, a podcast. I'm Nate Smith here with Chris Francis and Chris Lydon. And uh, we're going through our coach of the year or our postseason awards. And I'm assuming you guys know who my vote is already. Um, but for me, Monty Williams deserves it for the last three seasons. You got to give it to him, especially when they maintain, you know, the Suns quietly the best team in the league. They're the, they're the best team in the league that no one knows about, I feel like. I feel like nobody talks about how good the Suns are. And they did it with Chris Paul hurt a third of the season. They're just really, really good. And so much of that is Monty Williams and how well prepared they are. Night in and night out, the guy I wanted, one of the guys I wanted the Cavs to hire instead of uh, David Blatt, I had Monty Williams and uh, 
President Brad Stevens were at the top of my list. And uh, no, it wasn't David Blatt. It was uh, uh, Smell the Fart Coach Part 2. Um, oh, who's the assistant for the Warriors? Oh, uh, Mike Brown? Yeah, that's, <laughs> I wanted them to... <laughs> my top two guys were uh, Monty Williams and... Uh, and Brad Stevens, and they hired Mike Brown again. <laughs> but, you know, the beauty of winning a championship in uh, 2016 is you never want to change the past. So, anyway, um, so my guy's Monty Williams. Um, I, I like what JB's done this year, but I don't think he's put a strong enough resume together to be. I think he'll get some third-place votes. Um but I think it's Monty Williams, and then it's probably Taylor Jenkins. So I'm going to interrupt the uh, flow and go next and say that you're right. Um, I, th- I think Monty Williams deserves it and will win. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was, yeah, I think it was really telling that they did the. Uh, I don't remember the specific name of the award, but the uh, coaches vote award uh, for best coach or coach of the year uh, that was announced today. Um, I, I, I think it went to Monty Williams, didn't it? It did. And yeah. what was interesting is, is somebody uh, tweeted out that uh, five other coaches uh, received votes and none of them were J.B. Bickerstaff. So wow. apparently he got zero votes from the other coaches. Um, and uh, it was a little bit weird. I mean, like Popovich was on there. Like, uh, but yeah, that's a little that, you know, whether that's telling or not for a media voted award is hard to say. But uh, yeah, I think the. The, the teams uh, falling out of the narrative, like the greater NBA media narrative uh, toward the end of the season was just too much. And yeah, no, I think won. it hurt him. But he's he's uh, he's first uh, coach in my heart for sure. Still, <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, I'll, I'll go to bat for JB in the sense that, you know, like I kind of alluded to it with Boston is that the big is is trying Laurie marketing at the three and just going big, you know, and, and putting Mobley at the four, you know, it was, it was, uh, unorthodox and it paid off. So, and I think he set off a trend to be quite honest with you. I've seen more teams do double bigs and just weird, crazy lineups that we would have made fun of, you know, well, I mean, yeah, that we did make fun better of them. His- yeah, it's so, been better for Mobley's development than if we had stuck him at five too. Like, I think it's been a great development move. Yeah, I mean, especially on the defensive end. Oh, for sure. Say so. And for, he doesn't have the bulk to play the five. No, you're no, right. But no, I mean, those, it's those been people the perfect were land, like, like that. Yeah, it's been the perfect runway for him to to warm up uh, on both sides of the ball. Yeah, so you know, I think you know it was a stroke of genius uh, that he deserves credit for. I, I would have gone, you know. I like uh, Jenkins, and I'll actually give a shout out to Ime Adoka. You know, like there was a lot yes. of people who were slam slandering this guy at the beginning of the year. It, it was Boston's own. Me fans. too. Yeah, yeah, and it was just uh, he really somehow whipped it into shape out there. You know, especially that defense. So, uh, and honestly, I think part of it was biting. Like I go back to it, he kind of bit off what what JB. Biggerstaff did and did the Horford Time Lord lineups and they just took off. So yeah, and um, there's yeah, another guy I think deserves a lot of credit is Nick Nurse. Sure, uh, you, you that's a I would totally agree, hundred percent. Like they blew past. I mean, they were like the Cavs, right? That they 
I mean, they blew past their win expectation by like 10 or well, something. Well, and he, and he helped rehabilitate, you know, uh, Pascal Siakam. Yeah. Yeah. Like who was awful. Fan Fleet is a, yeah. you know, a borderline all NBA kind of guy, you know, all star and all NBA type. So, yeah. So here's one where I think the Cavs are not getting their due. Um, and I'm going to go executive of the year here. Um, I, I feel like maybe there should be, you know, maybe a second or third place vote, maybe even a first place vote trophy. On the desk of Kobe Altman. Um, the desk of Kobe Altman. Uh, but from what I'm reading here, the odds on favorite is Brad Stevens, which I find utterly ridiculous. Because um, I don't quite know what Brad Stevens did that. They outmaneuvered us for Derek White. Well, that is true. And <laughs> uh, But I will say the Cavs, you know, getting Mobley. Um, I, I thought the Laurie Markinen move. I panned it big time when it happened. I think it was a great move now, obviously. Um, uh, Ricky Rubio. If Ricky Rubio doesn't get hurt, then, you know, he probably wins that award. You're right. Um, Absolutely right. Yeah. So Completely. No, I, shout I'm out not, to Kobe. I'm not sure what Brad Stevens did other than bring in Amy Odoka and then his players decided they wanted to play. Um <laughs> After taking off the beginning of the season, so I don't well, and know. Rondo, Rondo, and uh, Levert probably don't happen. You know, like yeah, like Brandon Goodwin probably doesn't happen. You know, yeah. like in, the, in that alternate timeline, it's wildly different. Yeah. So what? what who? Who do you got for executive of the year, Mister Leiden? You know, I I can't pretend to know the executives across the board. <laughs> well, you know the big ones. We got Pat Riley, we got Brad yeah. Stevens, we got Masai Uriji. Yeah. You I know, mean, we I, all know who it isn't, and that <laughs> is uh, Rob Palenka. So, God. <laughs> got him. Well, That's I right. Think more, I, think the, <laughs> I think the more interesting take for me on this would probably be that I think Kobe's going to be in the running next season because I think they're going to be more active than a lot of people assume uh, this offseason in trying to improve this roster. And uh, I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna do a good job. I, I trust him on that. I, I do. I, you know, they were in the fire sale business this year. Uh, they were in the patching up holes, uh, but they're going to be in straight up shipbuilding mode uh, this off season. And and I, I like I like their their chances at that. So, um, but yeah, this season it's 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 tough. I mean, like some of these team constructions like we're still in this era of you know player dominated team building versus front office oriented team building right um and we're seeing we're seeing success sort of swing uh pendulum like but a lot of that you know i was reading stuff today that a lot of that feels like it's going away too a little bit the player control thing yeah yeah i think so but either way like those are those are the two dominant you know modes of team building right like you're either building through free agency in the draft or you're building through attracting superstar free agents and blitzing uh, toward a toward a title, and uh, tonight, you know, like the Nets are a great example of that. Like a team that lost the superstar halfway through, uh, you know, through trading, they've got vaccine drama, like all sorts <laughs> of things happening, and that that leads them to the the play in where they face us, right? Like even though they're a much better team, so there are two galaxies, and I think in in general, like with team building philosophy, it's tough to. It's tough to say that there's 
I think a team that's built that traditional way right now that's super dominant to the draft. So, yeah, yeah, it's hard. I mean, if, 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 you know, looking over this list, I actually, the guy I would vote for, uh, even before is Zachary Kleiman of Memphis, who I just think, you know, obviously, I 100% agree. Executive of the year is an award you win, not for what you did this year, but what you did for the last three or four years, a lot of times. And they've just built an unbelievable team there. Um, and, you know, picking guys who, you know, Desmond Bain, getting him as a starter, as a high level starter in the second round is just, you know, you know, really, or at the end of the first, I can't remember what it is, really high level drafting. And they've done that over and over and over. So I, I got to give that to them for sure. I, I think the other <laughs> award you could uh, give out, depending on how the season shakes out, is you could give Daryl Morey the award for somehow turning Ben Simmons into James Harden and out for Tita, out maneuvering for Tita, uh to get James Harden a year later. So <laughs> anyway, um, let's move on to... Uh, let's go defensive player of the year. Uh, that's a tough one to me. Um, you know, I think we both got our guys on, I, I certainly think that Jared Allen should get some votes, uh, especially if you look at his, um, EPM and his, his advanced stats are, are pretty incredible. Um, he's my pick. He's your he's pick? My pick. He's my pick. Yeah, absolutely. I think that. If you look at the advanced metrics and you look at the most impactful player among that group of defenders, I think you have to come to the conclusion that um, Jared Allen is in the running there. I think the only competition, in my opinion, that he has um, to me is, uh, you know, I think maybe Marcus Smart or uh, Rudy Gobert are really the only two guys I think that are what about uh, Jaron Jackson jr. I think that I think he's kind of a victim of the good team that he's surrounded by. I, I think that or the it, beneficiary. You know, yeah. Yeah. Benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in no, this I'm case, the victim because of yeah. the award, but yeah, yeah, exactly. He's the beneficiary of just being surrounded by a bunch of athletic, you know, defensive minded dogs and, uh, and just a, just an overwhelmingly talented roster. You know, whereas I think with, you know, although I mean, you make a good point, I mean, but with Alan, I think you got the, you got the all-star cachet and, you know, there's also been this period of time, not too long of a period, but a period of time here where we've seen the team without Jared Allen. So yeah, maybe, maybe that helps. I don't know. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll add, um, I hate Marcus Smart for this award. (laughs) <laughs> um, mainly because he's a professional flop artist on defense and he pulls that garbage three, four times a season. And I don't feel as if that should be rewarded. So, um, oh, and, and speaking of, you know, exciting NBA things, I don't know if you guys got the Clippers Wolves game on in the background, but it's a two point game with four minutes left. And uh, Minnesota mm. just went on a 14-2 run to take the lead. So Wow. Are they going to do it? Cause I, I hope so. That would be awesome. Wow. I mean, it was rocking. You know, that was a big difference that I noticed immediately before we hopped on air. 
the the vibe, the Minnesota atmosphere oh, yeah. was actually compared, a playoff atmosphere. Compared to the Nets where you're going oh, to see and be seen, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was completely dead. I mean, it was just a, it was an embarrassing, it was an embarrassing crowded Brooklyn compared to Minnesota. Shout out to Minneapolis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my defensive player of the year, I'm probably just gonna go Rudy Gobert again, <laughs> like I always do. Um, and, and I cannot give it to Marcus Smart. It's like, so I'm taking the field versus Marcus Smart, but Rudy Gobert with, uh, um, Jared Allen second. So, I, you know what? I'll just go Jared Allen because I I feel like the one thing he does so much better than Gobert is he can switch and he also plays that drop so much better than Gobert does. So now you're talking. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll go with you there. Um, what about you, Chris Lydon? Who who's your DPOY? I, I, I think Alan will not win this. Oh, I know he won't win it. <laughs> I, think, I think it'll be... Well, I'm trying to keep it Cavs-centric a little bit. He'll get a few third-place votes, maybe. Yeah. and he, <laughs> From and Chris Fedor, probably. He'll de- well, he'll deserve those, though. I mean, if he hadn't gotten hurt, I think he puts himself right up there. Uh, but I think it's going to be smart in that popularity contest uh, phase of the award. Uh, that'll be my prediction, but uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, I hate that guy. <laughs> Stupid East Coast media. Yep. And I hate what a flop artist he is. So, anyway. Um, okay, and then, you know, our our crowning achievement for uh, rookie, or for the postseason awards, we got uh, Nikola, or, uh, well, I guess now you know who mine is. <laughs> um, it, uh, most valuable player. Uh, for me, it's, it's the Joker just everything he does night in and night out, especially with their second best player being hurt all season. And they really don't have another all-star and for them to be as good as he is, it's pretty incredible. Um, and not a flop artist the way Joel Embiid has become. Um, I'm, I'm all in on, uh, the Joker isn't second straight MVP. I'll second that. Leiden. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, we got we got other candidates. We got Giannis. We got Jason Tatum. We got Luca. We got yeah. you know Devin Booker, best player on the best team. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, I I think it might be Giannis, but uh, you know, again, this is one of those things where there's you know the way that I think about this award versus the way that the voters do, um, and that probably slants a little bit away from Jokic. I think. Um, it's just, it's just not sexy. Like the, the, the success isn't sexy, you know, like even like his sort of aesthetic isn't like there, you know, the, there are issues there, uh, for sure. Uh, but he probably deserves it. I'll say that much. Well, so who you got? I don't think, I don't think the Joker will win. I No, I who's your be, pick? I mean, I think Gianna, yeah, I think Giannis will win. Oh, okay. I, I think wow. So. I'm okay with that. I think that's a legit take. The guy's unbelievable. No, absolutely. Well, and here's the thing about Giannis. The guy's hitting step back threes now. I mean. Yeah, he's definitely (laughs) figured something out in the range. Yeah, Yeah, it reminds me me of LeBron. Remember how LeBron would just like want to get better at offensive rebounding one year? And he would like say something about it in the offseason. And then the next year he would get like 30% better 
<laughs> you know, yeah, like he just did that every year. And I think I think Jonas has that kind of that. Well, and to me, they're ceiling. still a legit championship contender. They coast a little bit in the regular season, but he's as good as anybody. Oh yeah, oh for sure. Yeah. The one name that I that you brought up, Nate, that uh, you know I want to give you kudos for is I do think Devin Booker belongs in the conversation. Um, I think that you know best player on the best team uh, is some it's worth something. And absolutely, also I, you know I think people kind of underrate how he's improved his game. I, I think the level that we've seen from you know you've talked about it. How I mean Phoenix has just been gangbusters this whole season, and I think that's a lot in due. It's that you saw, I think what we saw with um, Phoenix is that their young guys, their young core, Booker, um, Bridges, and Aiton all leveled up. And I think perhaps, you you know, Booker probably leveled up the most perhaps, you know, especially on the defensive end. I think he's a dog more on the defensive end because of Chris Paul. You know, I think he's learned the importance of being a two-way player on the perimeter. Um, and I think he's a better playmaker than he was too. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to mention. Secondly is I think there's uh, an element of playmaking and understanding the game that he's received from Chris Paul. And he's kind of ran with it and, and is really, you know, made himself a, a tough competitor, you know, uh, going into these playoffs. Absolutely. I mean, he's averaging basically 27, five and five and, you know, shooting, let's pull up his shooting splits here, but, uh, well, I can't get them. They're not handy, but, um, oh, here they are. This is everybody's favorite part though, is when I look up stats on the internet, <laughs> you know, it's true. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's not his three point percentage. Dang it. I only have 38%. percent so on high yeah. volume. On yeah, and I'm sure he's in the high high 80s on Well, and the biggest throws. improvement to his game is his turnover rate has fallen to 9%. Yeah. I mean, he's probably slashed that in half this season. And he's now a uh, 1.6% steal rate. Uh, that's something that was never – he was never making plays on the defensive end prior to this yeah. year. So, you know, I think there's a, been a, a huge jump in his play. Uh, and what it's saying is his decision-making. He's gotten smarter about how he passes the ball, and he's now putting in the effort on the defensive end. So, yeah, and that team is so – like, they're – They're such a machine, aren't they? Yeah, and, like, they – I feel like they're the team no one talks about, too. Like, they really – it could be their year. Everybody's sure. preying on their downfall. Everybody thinks it was a fluke. You know, I mean, they, they yeah. just, I think people think, oh, well, the Clippers, they were missing Kawhi or else Kawhi would have taken them yeah. out. Well, oh, they were, you know, LeBron and AD were not healthy, so they would have taken them out. And But they just keep on, you know, they keep on keeping on. And, uh, you know, I think they're hungry. I think that loss kind of fueled them. They were up 2-0 against the Bucks and then got 4-0'd you know, in yep. the rest of that series. So I think there's kind of a, 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 a competitive desire within them. That's kind of been lit because they got kind of embarrassed in the finals. Well, and, you know, by and let's be 100% clear. This is Chris Paul's best shot at a championship. Ain't that right? Yeah. Right. A, as you know, mm-hmm. as a, you know, a heavy, as a starter anyway, you know, yep. he, he, he could be on the end of the bench for, a, for another team, but, you know, he's he's the the axle that drives the wheel for that team. So mm-hmm. absolutely. 
Yeah, and that's a that's a cherry on top of a Hall of Fame career. That puts him in a whole nother discussion in terms of the quote unquote pantheon of NBA players. So that that's a huge deal. A lot at stake this postseason. It's going to be a lot of fun. Or I'm sorry, this playoffs. <laughs> Speaking of postseason, we got Minnesota up six. Uh, well, now three <laughs> um, with about a minute and a half left. So I'm, I'm rooting for I, I stand small markets. So um, and with that, I think we we did the postseason awards. We'll save the all NBA for another day because uh, we're already pretty long in the tooth. But I will long ask. In the tooth, yep. Yeah, we'll ask you guys uh, anything you want to pitch um, going into the the end here. Yeah, I have one. Um, okay. I'm going to stick with my music recommendations, which I've been doing uh, for these pitches for a while. And uh, I want to shout out St. Lennox, uh, a guy named Andrew Choi, who's from my uh, How do you spell that? In Columbus. It's St. Lennox. It's a S-T-L-E-N-O-X. And okay. uh, he put an album out last year uh, during the pandemic times uh, on Don Giovanni Records called uh, Ten Songs of Worship and Praise for Our Tumultuous Times. And it's a very, very cool uh, sort of like uh, folk pop Americana uh, with, uh, with synths and, uh, drum and, uh, electronic drum beats, uh, singer songwriter stuff. That's uh, very good. And it was a, a record that kind of went under the radar, I think last year. Uh, so I wanted to shout it out here and, uh, tell people to check it out. Nice. What about you, Chris Francis? Well, I guess I'll do the music tip as well. Uh, except in a completely different direction genre wise, uh, the new Charlie XEX album just released, uh, like a week or two ago. I don't know. It's been recent, but it's a new release by pop star Charlie XCX. It feels like kind of the end of an era for her or putting a capstone on her young career uh, as a rave, as a rave queen back in London in the early 2000s, I guess, or late or mid 2000s. I don't know. But uh, yeah, so she came out with them. Check out the song specifically lightning. That's a, if you're a fan of, uh, if you're a fan of 80s goth, you know, goth punk, like, uh, you know, New Order. And who isn't? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, come on. You know, Cleveland's probably the birthplace of that, right? You know? So, <laughs> or Akron. <laughs> yeah, or Akron. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so yeah, check it out. It's, you know, if you dig the 80s, 90s, you know, retro vibe with the pop, uh, Charlie XCX, yeah, Crash. Well, I'm going to make it three for three here with the music recommendations, and I'm going to go for an artist uh, named Anna Ash, who is a um, sings real kind of 70s R&B influenced um, folk rock stuff, a little bit singer songwriter, a little bit, um, you know, Karen Carpenter, a little bit. uh, Oh, who's the other one from uh, that era? Um. Yeah, Karen Carpenter is a good comp. Um, Ooh, I know Carly Simon. Talking. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, really, really good voice. Really, really interesting mix of songs and genres. You know, some of it's more country, some of it's more R and B, some of it's more folk. Um, but you know, she she's got three or four albums out, and they're all pretty good from from what I've seen. So uh, check out Anna Ash. Um, pretty darn good singer. So. Um, and I'm trying to think if I have anything else to pitch, but I've just been knee deep in, uh, training for work, uh, the last, uh, 
two months. So, so not, not, not to, uh, not too able to uh, come up with the recommendations on the on the fly. So, anyway, uh, but I think that's about it. And uh, yeah, well, do we have a time for Friday? Ooh, that has been. But the graphic was so terrible. Um, hold on one second. Oh, yeah, this is everyone's favorite part. As yes, we the hot googling, googling action, action to finish it off. <laughs> Okay. It's not a Kaza podcast without hot Googling action. So what we have is Friday evening. Ooh, it has it's to be determined on the time. So but presumably it will be seven o'clock, seven thirty. Um Yeah, it'll probably be seven I, my bet will be seven thirty, yeah. Yeah. It's because a, there'll be another game yeah. also at Friday. And neither neither of the teams we might play are gonna be like way west, so yeah. right. they'll probably keep it around then. Yep. Yeah. So, and we got a oh. home game. That's going to mean something. I feel like that's going to mean. Wait, is something. it home? Is it? Is it? Oh, yeah, it's, it's a home game. Yep. I, so I misspoke earlier. Seed. I thought it was away. No, no, because nope. they're the higher seed. Yep. They get the home game. Yep. So I think so it's going to pay off. I, I honestly, pay off. I don't hate the uh, the seed. Well, here's the thing: even if they lose, they get a prize. So. That's right. We win. We are winners. We can't lose. We can't yeah, it, lose. It, it's like <laughs> elementary school. <laughs> Everybody gets an award. That's right. We we're cooking either way. Yeah, and as always, go Cavs. Go, go Cavs. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. There's a fire. And we're out. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.